0: industrial chillers capable of maintaining large tanks of solvent at temperatures below 60 celsius they also offer extensive tech support and consultation services so whether you need to set up an extraction lab from scratch or you just need some replacement gaskets give them a call at 855-553-3887 or check out their website at www.bogart.com
1: Thank you guys for being here. Uh Benjamin Gonzalez and Franco Smith. How's it going, guys? It's good. (laughs) Hi there. Excellent. So yeah, the I mean, you guys are on the first long format hemp show deep dive. We don't really have an agenda here. The the purpose is to just talk about what's going on in the industry, take it whatever direction we we like. Um, but where I think I'd like to go ahead and start is Franco, I'd like you to introduce yourself because i don't i don't know if anybody's met you all
2: right uh, hi guys my name is franco um i'm currently in cape town and uh, i am a content creator and interviewee and i look forward to learning more about um you ben and getting into the intricacies of how you got to where you are <laughs> yeah and so so franco's been franco's been working
1: with us for the last several months, um, he does a lot of kind of our uh, market analysis and and writing. So he's great copywriter and really crushes it. So I thought he'd be great to just involve with this on our deep dive, especially because he's going to be one of our team members that's writing about this deep dive that we take here. Um, and he knows the industry pretty well, and he's got a different perspective on it being out in, in Cape Town, South Africa.
3: Hmm. Definitely. I, I, I'm interested to hear about the regulations and the way the hemp industry is going down there in South Africa. I've heard some horror stories,
1: uh, let's say.
2: <laughs> yes, um, horror stories is a good way to sum it up. Um, it's To make it nice and neat, it's quite difficult, but it seems to be getting some momentum and good direction. Um, as of yet, uh, to acquire a hemp license, um, license seekers or business owners have to um, set up the entire farm, the entire grow up, and give transparency um, as to uh, or per regulation, um, have everything cleared before they can start growing, which I think is wonderful um, to start things off in such a clear, crisp way. It's just a little bit difficult for initial investors to get started. Um, as small farmers have to make quite big investments to get this licensing underway. Right. So basically they gotta go, they gotta go
1: seed to sale, fully vertically integrated with compliance to
2: get approved and actually grow out there. That's perfectly correct. Um, you can't just start with something small and start building it up. You need uh, finances. You need uh, you need everything for, to to even get an eyebrow in your direction. <laughs> um, and plus, of course, in South Africa, we have something called BEE. Um, so there's all sorts of different um, stipulations that need to be filled out for you to even be considered for all of this. Um, so as of now, it's mostly a game of, of old agricultural investors in South Africa and, um, and from Europe who are who are trying very hard to be the quote-unquote top dogs of the industry. Um, and it's interesting to see how they're going about it. Very, very interesting. Fair. Well, we're going to have to get a write-up and we're going to have to have some
1: episode or special where we talk specifically about that because I'm sure that we have a lot of people in the can trade slash hemp show audience that would love to know about the South African market.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that'd be fantastic.
1: Absolutely fantastic. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, I mean, there's some States out here, you know, so when every, every state does their own cannabis laws, certain states implemented things like that. I know the Ohio law got bounced back when they were trying to, when a, a small group of people were, wrote that and were trying to uh, monopolize it. And I believe it was what, one of the, uh, was it Nick Lachey? One of, I, one of the, I think he was behind it or something like that. But yeah, I know in, in Florida, they required that like only nurseries, only basically legacy nurseries could grow cannabis. And right. uh, so if you had, you had to have a legacy nursery basically, and they only handed out a handful of those. Cause there was only so many in the state that it could even possibly grow. Haven't really followed up on it since. So I'm not sure where it's at now. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, do you, do you know anything about the Florida cannabis no. situation?
3: Uh, I don't as uh, I'm not as well versed with the Florida regulations. So I couldn't speak with any authority on that. I do know that it, it, I reside in Illinois. I'm in Chicago. Um, and I do know that the Illinois side of things for the medicinal and the recreational side, as far as licensing is a, a nightmare right now. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of suspicion of pay to play kind of politics that are going on with it, um, which is not uncommon for Illinois. But I think that there's uh, there's been some attempts to make this a much more transparent and equitable process for everybody, including some of the social equity programs that are involved in the regulations that allowed for adult use, marijuana use. Um, And it's similar to what's going on in South Africa. If I know in Illinois, if you want to get a a cannabis dispensary or growing uh, or craft grow license or anything like that, you need to show uh, full disclosure of everything, where you're going to be growing, how you're going to be doing it, including also showing the financial assets uh, strong enough to do it. So you need money in order to get started, but you can't get money until you've got a proven business model if you want to attract investors. It's kind of a catch-22 that very few people have been able to navigate and get and, and get around even with the social equity programs it's it's a significant financial hurdle i would what i would consider a barrier of entry uh into mm-hmm. the into the industry but not hemp uh hemp much easier to get a hemp license
1: yeah well we're gonna dive the first uh, i just want to comment on that real quick because i know the first thing i want to actually dive into here is where we left off on the hemp show when we only had 15 minutes <laughs> diving into some of the interim rules slash final rule with the hemp space but what you just mentioned i mean ultimately it's it's kind of been sad to see because the the country is such a patchwork of different regulations and and i totally I, I get the states rights things but it does make it extremely hard when every state throws their own kind of two cents into these rules and regulations and makes it in some cases easier but in most cases drastically harder yeah. to, to start the business. Um, I do like the protection on that. They have, you know, focused on customers, but um, still it's, it's sad to see when, especially out here in California, when you have businesses that have been around legal slash sublegal for, for so long that couldn't convert because they're small mom and pops, uh, they can't deal with the regulations. And then out here in California, you had certain cities or, but the state required this as well, where you, you know, to apply for your license, you have to have your location. You have to have your leased location. So you have to have a facility to apply for the license. So that facility is basically sitting stagnant for however much time until you get approved. So you're just got a bunch of overhead and and infrastructure you're paying for, but you can't actually conduct business until you're approved. And there was cities that did that, but did that terribly. And I know that, oh man, I forget what, what County it was, but they, they, they accepted like several million dollars of fees from, from growers. And then they never actually gave those growers the approval to start growing. And then about six to six months to a year later, they're just like, okay, you know what? We're not going to allow growing anymore. See ya. And they just ate up everybody's fees, which caused a bunch of lawsuits and stuff. So I don't know where that is now, but it's just crazy hearing about that type of stuff going on. And it's going on everywhere. You know, anywhere there's a different type of regulatory body that wants to put their two cents into what they're going to be, how they're going to be controlling the cannabis or hemp product you know hemp crops uh it just creates so many issues indeed
3: indeed and and it's a double-edged sword too because you want to be able to give states the autonomy to delegate their own rules and make their own regulations about this Um, but at the same time without a kind of overall federal guideline to to help in that scenario that it's going to be what we've considered the wild west of this it's just going to be whatever goes each state can kind of make their own thing and i think that for hemp it's one thing because there is some federal guidance and some federal oversight for that but from the 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 medicinal and and recreational or adult use side it's just it's just a patchwork of what people think is going to be the best way for the states to make money off of the industry and kind of a lot for a lot of states it's the 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 legislature kind of going ah we'll look the other way but we need we need money you give us you give you give us your money and we'll make it okay
1: Right. We'll talk after we'll talk after you pay your fees. Yeah. (laughs) Pay your your fees. We'll figure it out. $10,000. Come on, write me my check. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, So I I got a question for you related to the hemp final rule. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a bunch of stuff we need to dive into here because I am definitely not the expert. And I know I've, I've actually first question real quick um, on premier CBD labs all the write-ups that you have on there is it you that's writ that did all those write-ups or or someone on your team because i've got pulled open right now the kind of the bullet points on the analysis um and commentary on the usda final hemp rules yeah that's so, me. okay that's you so yeah i've been i've been reading through this um you know and it's
3: and by the way it's premium
1: not premiere <laughs> oh sorry no, okay. apologies <laughs> hey, one one it's thing about, name. i mean like look- <laughs> <laughs> one thing you learn about me: the, the longer you interact with me, I'm I'm dyslexic, so and I spell terribly, so I'm notorious for getting names wrong and reading really badly. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. Um, so the, the one of those, the first question I have here is is with the the federal government, the USDA creating the final rule, how will that affect and say work with or overrule? Some of the regula- regulations they have in specific states. So,
3: so yeah. the the stipulations on that on, on the USDA side of things is uh, that nothing that they say, nothing that they state, can supersede uh, state laws um, on some level. But they also have a stipulation in there that says that the that the state laws have to be either in line with the USDA's rules or more strict. So no state, for example, could come out and say, yeah, you can grow without a license, it's fine. We don't care. They, they couldn't do that. Uh, the states could not, could not make a provision that, that is enforceable in their state that would work on that level. But they could say, um, you know, instead of just testing for your cannabinoids, just testing for your THC level, you need to also test for heavy metals and make sure that there's no heavy metals in there a state could regulate that in fact some states have most states haven't
1: yeah so that's interesting it's like hey states you're, you're fine to do what you want as long as you go harder on the industry <laughs> yeah. that's it that, that's interesting just because it's not it's not really you know that states law takes precedent over over the federal law when it comes to this because ultimately they're basically setting the rules and just saying all right only you have to take it further if you take it further, you're fine. But if you're a little bit more laxed on the industry, uh, uh-uh, uh that's not okay.
3: Well, I think it's yeah. I mean, I think it's like a, a, is it still Idaho that doesn't even allow hemp cultivation at all? And they tried um, to they tried to stop interstate commerce, and the USDA said no, no, no. It's codified. You cannot stop interstate commerce of hemp.
1: I, I know it. I know it definitely was. I I haven't been following it lately, so I always see random things. I think it was what the Dakotas were were up there as well, and then they kind of turned the turn the page a little bit.
3: Yeah. Well, they, they need tax revenue.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's, that's another, gosh, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine with the, everybody needs tax revenue and I get mm-hmm. it. But at the same time, it's like, let's, let's do what's right and make money from it. Not only do what's right. If it's going to make money for us, it's. It's a.
3: Another double-edged sword. I mean, like, frankly, yeah. the savior of the industry, the savior of this industry has been the fact that the States that have allowed um, robust hemp productions have seen a significant amount of tax revenue coming from them. Um, same thing with the adult use and, and uh, medicinal markets. Um, if it wasn't for that tax revenue, a lot of the, a lot of the state legislatures probably wouldn't care.
1: I, yeah, totally, totally agree with you. And uh, I mean, obviously this is a more hemp focus, but I'm just going to keep coming back to the cannabis side of it. Cause for me there, obviously it's the same, uh, it's at least species of plant, just yep. with slight variations. Uh, the it's just interesting to see. Um, I mean, that's part of why they say the uh, black market's still thriving out here in California, because in reality, prices of of the product for consumers at retail is r- double. I mean, when you have the grow tax, you know, you have the cultivation taxation, then you have uh, the retail tax. You have all the taxes that start to pile up on each other. You know, for when you when I go to a, a dispensary, I'm paying basically double the price for an eighth or a vape cartridge or something than I was two years prior, or sometimes even triple to four times the price three to four years prior when it was a lot less regulated. But, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in those cases, I didn't necessarily know what I was having. So, once again, double edged sword. I think we're, we're going to keep coming back to that.
3: Oh, definitely. I mean, that's, that's politics in general.
1: Yeah. So so getting back to the the final rule, um, you know, what what are some of the key points here? And I know we talked about them a bit on the on the 15 minute segment we had on the on the show. Um, What are some of the key points as far as takeaways and hurdles that the industry is going to have to face related to those? So what's the the major, let's say, barriers that were different than the interim rule or prior to the interim rule? that is really going to be tough on farmers and processors?
3: Um, you know, I see the final rules uh, overall, just taking a broad perspective here, not looking at some of the, the, little, the little issues, but as a broad issue, I think that the, the, the final rules for US, from the USDA actually lifted some of the barriers um, and made it a little bit easier. Not, it's not what we want fully, obviously, but it, I think it, I think it did well to to lift some of the barriers for for things. There's still the biggest barrier that I see for cultivators, people who are trying to get into this, um, is the uh, and this is something that's not USDA related. It's it's more federal law. It's 2014 2018 Farm Bill and Controlled Substances Act stuff. Um, so it's the 0.3% rule that's going to be a that's going to be a hurdle for anybody who's trying to cultivate hemp anyway. Um, mm. The, the, the biggest one that I see is the 10-year moratorium, which is uh, that if you have a criminal conviction, a felony conviction relating to controlled substance, you cannot have a hemp license or cannot be a principal operator of a company that has a hemp license. Basically, you can't be a key decision maker in a hemp company. So I can't be the VP of blah, 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 CBD gummies uh, if I have a pot conviction for slinging pot on the corner from 10 years ago. However, if i have a, a a homicide conviction from 10 years ago i have no problem getting a hemp license
1: wow no yep. way. that is absurd yep. i could have been
3: i could have been indicted on criminal fraud i could have, have RICO charges on me and i can get a hemp license but if i slung a bag of weed or maybe had a bag of coke on me you know like again a felony this is not misdemeanor but for a period of time even less than a decade ago Any possession was a was a felony charge for certain things. So uh, that's a significant barrier of entry, and it's one that I see um, negatively affecting a lot of the disenfranchised segments of the population in our country, and um, creates a significant barrier of entry on that level alone.
1: And that and that because that's because that's a federal law right there, Mm -hmm. or it's in the it's in the USDA's final rule that applies across the country. And obviously each state treats you know, the, the convictions or, or how they're gonna prosecute uh, low-level marijuana crimes versus say, slinging marijuana. Back in the day, they treat it differently. So that's gonna come down a lot to how your state treats that. And does that, I'm guessing if your state has passed a legalization um, and, and includes something related to expunging records for past marijuana crimes, I'm guessing that if your record was to get expunged, that would then free you up to be you able to participate, but you still have to go through, you still have to jump all those hurdles.
3: Uh, yeah. And like where I'm at in Illinois, they've already expunged over half a million records.
1: Okay. In one well, year. Yeah, that, that's great. And actually, I've heard, I heard there was a, a company that was kind of specializing in that. It was some, I oh man, I wish there, I, there I remember are. the name. <laughs>
3: If if there's something to do with the law and there's people needing it, there's a whole bunch of ambulance chasers. And I have friends who are lawyers, and I'm not right. saying this didn't be in a demeaning way, but there's a whole bunch of ambulance chasers. Oh
1: really yeah, coming yeah. Up but, after that. but but to comment on that one real quick, the the what I heard, like I said, I gotta I gotta look up the name. If I can find the name, I'll I'll put it in the the show notes. But the uh, they were doing it. It was pro bono, and it was a it was some sort of algorithm that was searching all marijuana crimes that would be eligible, and then mm. it was basically automatically submitting the documentation to then have that expunged from your record so it was it was good thing it wasn't an ambulance chaser it wasn't somebody it wasn't a billboard saying you know 1-800 did you get in a car accident give me a call
3: (laughs) so they did some kind of automation to say like hey if you had a if you had this kind of criminal conviction we're gonna automatically just throw that out there and put it through that's that's great
1: right yeah they were they were applying it to the state records so it wasn't like being that's my understanding of it like is that a I need to, need to find out the, uh, what company was doing that and learn a little bit more about it.
3: I'd love to see it, yeah. I, I, I really applaud programs like that. I think social equity is a huge component to this um, on a lot of levels for any, for any of these things. But anyway, that, 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 that's the long and short answer to your question. I think those are the biggest barriers of entry. That honestly, uh, as I've talked to a lot of people who've been in, in, on the, uh, uh, the cultivation side of things and um, talked to consultants, people that, that we rely on for a lot of viable information if you're looking to get started in the hemp industry, don't do it unless you've got two to three years worth of money to burn. Just don't. Yeah. If you've yeah, never I mean, cultivated yeah. this plant before, get good advice from people who've done it before work with somebody who's done it before. Um, don't just, don't just throw this out into your field and think you can grow it like soybeans. Cause you can't.
1: Right. I have uh, I, I can completely agree. I mean, I made that mistake diving into the cannabis industry back in 2011 and 12, but it wasn't nearly as regulated then. But yeah, completely agree. Do your research first. And the best thing you can do is, is jump on with a company a, that knows what they're doing, an individual that's well-financed, that knows what he or she's doing and learn about it first, before you put in that time, money and effort. And in all reality, if you don't have two, three years of financing, to to go ahead and put behind your business, you're gonna be pinching pennies the whole time and you're never gonna make headway. Yep. That's yeah. yeah. So so with with that said, I mean, talking about the the needing the two years, two, three years of financing, that that kind of takes out a lot of, of the smaller businesses, the smaller mom and pop farms. I mean I'm not gonna say it stuff. can't be
3: done that I personally know of some growers who have just a little grow house in the back of their farm. They plot, they, they planted a hundred plants that year. They found a little local shop who would sell their flower after they got their fit for commerce certificate and were able to get out and get their product out to the market. And they made a little bit of money last year.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I, I do believe that there will always be a place for boutique. I mean, especially we've seen that happen in the, in the beer industry. You know, mm-hmm. got taken over by, by super, uh, you know, super large corporations with their ultra light beers that had no flavor. And then it's seen its resurgence and, you know, everybody's into the craft beer scene. However, when it comes to the actual cannabinoids and unless if it's not flour, when it comes mm-hmm. to the cannabinoids, I mean that's really much a raw ingredient. That's kind of a commodity product, and uh, I don't know. I don't know if I see the same type of boutique um, love for kind of boutique products in, when it comes to that type of stuff. Now with flour, like I said, different because you can have boutique flour, boutique strains, and if you're smoking actual flour, but that's still a subset of the population. So, I, you know, I think the majority of The population is going to be consuming some sort of edibles or tinctures, something that was derived from the extract, whether it was a full spectrum or concentrate, you know, whatever that may be. And if it's a full spectrum, you know, which I would prefer, problem with that is when you put it into a product, you don't get as much of that boutique feel from it, you know, whether it's the specific flavors or aromas because it's being masked slightly by something else or it's being ingested you know, in a, in a different form. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with that one, whether or not the smaller boutique growers are going to be able to survive.
2: I think there's
3: a craft grow industry. I don't think it's going to be, a, I mean, like just same, same thing with the beer industry. You don't see some of the, some of the craft breweries really made the mark and, and did really well. Um, but some of them just are still these little independent breweries that are just still pumping out small batches they're still going to do it and they're going to keep doing it um i think the same thing will happen with with some of the the hemp industry you'll see the craft flower as as a small subset but it's not going to be the the main focus most people are consuming cbd through edibles or through you know through things that do come from distillates and isolates and and concentrates um
1: right and 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 in that, that that case in those cases it's it's a commodity product because the consumer doesn't really get it much of the taste and flavor that they would, they wouldn't really be able to, I would say it's kind of like a, you know, you put a bunch of, let's say wine drinkers in a room and you have them do a blind taste test with a $50 bottle versus a 20 and a, you know, in a two buck check, most of them are going to get it wrong. Right. But, yeah. but you'll have, you'll have some of the more uh, distinguished palates some people that'll get it, get it right but you do the exact same thing with a whole bunch of tinctures, and inside each tincture is, you know, X amount of CBD oil came from boutique versus so on. I would say that that one's kind of a coin flip. I don't think anybody's going to get that one. Right. Um,
3: probably not. I mean, you've got, you've got to a certain point where it's like, can you even taste or smell the, the, the terpenes that went in there? Was there terpene degradation in the, in the manufacturing process? Most likely yes, because they're such fragile compounds. Yeah. I mean, it, Sure, you can you can yeah. add flavorings and make that, but I think I think what people are using CBD for, for the most part, is its efficacy. I mean, like I, I don't think for, smoke will flower is one market, and that's one thing to to go after on on that level. But from what I've seen and from from what what is out there, it seems that most of the CBD market is, you know, does it work? And so then we have to examine, you know, is is full structure, full spectrum or broad spectrum really need you know the the issue is is the entourage effect something that that we're seeing that that shows a different kind of efficacy than just CBD alone. You know, it'd be really interesting to see what would happen with Epidiolex, and you compare right. apples you know apples to I guess not even apples, but if you compare it to a, a full spectrum yeah. kind of thing, yeah, and... Epidiolex is like the most pure form of CBD. It's like it's you know it's just straight CBD, ninety nine point nine percent.
1: Yeah, sure, and and I mean I'm most interested in just the how terpenes interact with the cannabinoids. That one's that one's the part that excites me. Um, you know, definitely a lot of research needs to be done on on the cannabinoids by themselves. You know, specifically the efficacy of of CBD, CBN, CBG, CBDA, all the above. Um, but then where it gets crazy, right, is when you put in all the terpenes as well, because you're talking about endless number, number of combinations, you know, and, right. And you could, we could, we could possibly find a breakthrough where it's like, all right, if you have X amount of milligrams of the, these four cannabinoids combined with beta caryophylline and d and, you know, X, that all of a sudden it's a cure for this, you know, that that's a possibility.
3: Yeah, totally. And I think the, 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 the new rules open up a little bit more potential for that research. I think until we have, federal decriminalization and more federal laws that, that allow for more research. But the, the, the USDA's rules in and of themselves, I think opened up some pathways that will help out with some of the, some of the research that needs to be done out there, including even re, uh, relaxing on some of the uh, the sampling and testing protocols um, where they, they allow for what is considered performance-based testing, or also they allow states to. So that that's where, that's one thing where the states have a little bit more freedom uh, and cart I guess, carte blanche almost in, in, in kind of diverting away from the strictness of, of the USDA's rules is mm-hmm. they can implement uh, these sampling and testing-based protocols for compliance that are more in line with uh, end use of, the, of, of what's being cultivated or what's being grown, uh, the history of the grower, um, the, the strain, mm-hmm. things like that um where they've been given some leeway to do that and also research organizations have a little bit of an exemption not exemption but uh, some more leeway um for those testing regulations where they state that it's it's very clear that they said look as long as you conform to this standard which is that 95 you you're certain that within 95 percent certainty that no more than one percent of the crop grown in that lot is going to exceed that 0.3 thc threshold if you can demonstrate that and show that with whatever testing protocols you put together, you can do performance-based sampling.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So
1: that's, yeah, that's excellent. I mean, one of the, what, but most people don't don't know is just with the, the testing requirements that's required for say a hemp crop, you know, that's basically 10 X the type of testing that's required for most of the products you eat in a grocery store, you know, most, uh, no. no, no,
3: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> for a hemp crop. It's The only federal regulation on hemp right now is that it needs to be below 0.3% THC. There are some states that have adopted something akin to GMP standards for things that are going out there as CBD products, but most states don't. So when you go to a grocery store and you pick up a product that you're going to put in your mouth, that's been stability tested, that's been tested for contaminants on the front, middle, and end of the production rowing, that's not happening in hemp.
1: Right, but, but for what, what type of, what's it being tested for though? Because is it being tested for the same, the same pesticide residues that say uh, a cannabis or a hemp crop is being tested for, including heavy metals and all the above?
3: Nothing, it's not being tested for anything.
1: No, that, that's what I was saying. Oh, oh, well, so for, yeah, for yeah. foods? Yeah, so we were, were on the same page. Sorry, yeah. I, was saying, I was saying that it wasn't, I was saying that that's when people are going into their grocery stores, they're not getting that level of, of testing and protection. Right, yes. That's, from, the, that, from the produce. Uh,
3: yeah, yeah. Well, yes, there's still spot-checking of produce even, um, whereas hemp products don't have any regulations on them in most states as far as what's being put on the shelves. Okay. But, and now, individual grocery grocery chains may say, no, 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 no. Before, you, before we put this on our shelves, you need to go and test for this. We need an expired date, which means you need to do stability testing. Mm-hmm. We need to know that it doesn't have any pesticides or contaminants in it, things like that. But... Uh, So in some ways, some states have more strict testing for, uh, medicinal and recreational or adult use the, uh, in most states, uh, those strict measures are put into place um, where the testing is much more strict than if you, if you're, you know, just picking up a piece of fruit at the grocery store, even a packaged meat or a packaged thing of yogurt, um, Whereas hemp products and CBD products, they, most states that they, they don't. The only thing that needs to be done for those is that it's below 0.3% THC. Aside from that, there's no regulations whatsoever. There was no human health testing. There's Now, I should say it's not regulated. It's not required. There are a mm. ton of people in this industry that are doing the right thing, that they are testing their batches to make sure that there are no heavy metals in there, to make sure that there are no solvents on the back end as they, as they pump out a, a, an extracted product, um, that there, there are no microbial or mycotoxins left in, you know, in, in their product on the way out. But there are also a lot that are not, or they're relying right. on faulty testing methods to, to do it, or just not doing a thorough enough job. That just last year i mean wait no i think it just made the news this year there was a whole bunch of stuff in michigan these uh this is medicinal or like, you know, it was adult use cartridges that were shown to have mold growing in them and no, it may not have fair. come from the manufacturer it may not have come from the people who were who were manufacturing the the, the, the liquid that was going okay. inside of that cartridge it might have come from the cartridge itself
1: yeah wow yeah i mean and in, in, well when you got out here one of the biggest one of the issues in california when they started implementing testing on the uh, in the medical cannabis side was the cartridges were leaching heavy metals mm-hmm. so when they started testing for heavy metals it wasn't the i mean in a lot of cases the 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 crops were testing hot but in the cases right. where the crops weren't testing hot and and they then did the extraction everything was still testing fine then they put it in the cartridge and they test it a few weeks later and it's it's popping for heavy metals because the cartridges were leaching the heavy metals.
3: Well, also let's, let's, let's look at the process on this too, right? So you grow, well, first off, let's say you're in coal country and you start growing hemp. <laughs> you're going to test hot for heavy metals. Mm, um, yeah. Just there's so much in the soil right there. I'm, there's a reason in my backyard in Chicago, I'm not growing hemp plants unless I right. wanted to remediate my soil for a couple of years before doing well, something else. That's what I was literally about <laughs> to say is
1: like, we should just grow hemp everywhere to start remediating <laughs> our soil because yeah. it's a bioaccumulator. <laughs>
3: Totally. That's what China's been doing for a long time. They're trying to re- rejuvenate their soil because they've had high levels of arsenic and lead in their rice crops, even. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, and that's not the only reason, but they've been utilizing that hemp. And where are they selling it?
1: To us. <laughs> yeah.
3: Now, now, mind you, they can only sell it to us for fiber, but. Right. Um, hey, I would
1: say if we, if we could at least remediate, you know, some of our croplands and, and get it back to having some pristine soil, soil and we can do that by utilizing a ton of hemp and making that into fibrous, you know, material that we can use for clothing yeah. or, or hemp, hemp creating or whatever we want to make. I would love that. That would be great.
3: Mm-hmm. Hemp bricks, hemp yep. I mean, there's, you can do 3d printing using hemp fiber. Um, so we could be building sustainable housing
1: using hey, I, hemp fiber. I, I 3d print all the time. I got three 3d printers in my garage that are can, running nonstop. Can, can you build me a house? I need to get out of this place. <laughs> I know some of those some of those houses man those things are so cool they've got some crazy ones now they used to just be like some little machine just sitting on a yeah. just basically rotating in kind of a circle mm-hmm. printing almost like an igloo style house now right. it's literally full houses crazy it is awesome but to, giant to go back giant, to giant to that, gantries yeah
3: to go back to your question though like um it, uh, by the way awesome tangent but um <laughs> let's go into that process you grow hemp it tests below the thresholds of what is acceptable for heavy metal concentrations in the plant. So you've passed. Now you throw that into a process. You're concentrating the plant material. You're concentrating everything that's in there. Yes. There's a significant chance that by the time it comes out on the other side, you may have been above those thresholds because you've just concentrated the THC, the CBD, the oils, you know, everything that's in there, including the
1: pesticides.
3: pesticides. So while it may have tested totally fine as a plant, by the time it comes out on the other side of the extraction process, you could be seeing those, those elevated levels even though nothing else was introduced into your process lines.
2: Right. Right. It's a
3: possibility and it's a significant one uh, because anytime you're concentrating something, that's what happens.
1: I wonder if we're going to see a, a, an uptick in uh, medical issues caused by the past, say, 20 years, roughly 20 years of, of concentrates that were likely testing hot with pesticides, but nobody really knows because... Back in, you know, 90, in 96, cannabis became illegal in California mm-hmm. uh, for medical purposes. Then uh, fast forward, you know, the past next 20 years, but when in 2018, when the regulations started to kick over and they started to have certain pesticide testing and the heavy metal testing, everybody was testing hot. So everybody was was getting popped for pesticides. So basically that what that tells me is that for prior to that, it's likely that the majority of concentrates had some trace elements of heavy metals, pesticides, even solvents. I mean, obviously uh, BHO with so butane honey oils was, was a huge product for extracts and, and dabbing. So that, that that definitely is
2: worrisome.
3: Yeah. T- take a look at that old shatter. Let's see what it... Uh...
2: Well, I, <laughs> what it I personally had a, an encounter with some very bad shatter a couple of years ago when I wasn't too aware of what happened. And um it took me on a big sort of health tangent. And I had a medical checkup in the beginning of the year with uh, uh, COVID and uh, going back to school like I, I was teaching in Vietnam. Um, and uh, I've got a hole in my lung because of this, uh, because of all fits of cough and and, and like uh, trying to keep it together and what have you um, because of the butane on my lungs. Um, so it's Is- an interesting is it oh. is it suspected that it was the butane or is they is it like I've been doing research sure. most recently, like because um, someone mentioned it to me and I remember um, having this big issue when I was was using this dab at the time, like I was so unfamiliar, it was so new to me. I thought, yo, this is how it's supposed to go down, like half a lung should be coughed out. Um, and then, you know, a, a couple of years later, I, I got in with it and I'm reflecting and I'm pretty sure that was it. Um, and from research of what I've been seeing with um, what butane does to the AVOs in your lungs, it's very degenerating. Um, so yes, just to uh, add to that, which speaking
3: I'd... of that, totally related, vaping has been shown to destroy alveoli mm. It's it, it's it's a very serious issue that nobody really wants to. Do. Yeah, vaping's better than smoking. Sure, you're not gonna have black tar all over your lungs. But what you're doing is you're actually creating basically little pustules on your lungs that are preventing you from getting the regular oxygen intake in the first place and are showing to, to have detrimental effects on you. It's just slower and not as acute as, uh, as, as smoking. And this is probably more of a concern for cigarette smoking and, and, and nicotine okay. vaping. Um, Yeah.
1: So that that was going to be my question is that because that mostly, I mean, at least with say the vape hysteria was linked to the vitamin E acetate as mm -hmm. an additive along with, um, I mean, a lot of people use MCT oil, different types of things, propylene glycol. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, the major companies were using those. We're still using those. Uh, they are but, still, yes. Yeah, and and not all. I don't think anybody's using vitamin E acetate because that was the one that was kind of demonized. Yet, oh yeah, yeah. It's likely, still, it's there's still likely there's just out there, one of they're... many though that, that are causing those types of problems.
3: Yeah, and, and, and yeah. MCT, great for eating, awesome, good stuff for you, not, right? You know, not not good to vaporize and throw into your lungs.
1: Yeah, no, no no need to put those those triglycerides into the lungs. I mean, it's just not what it's made for. I mean, honestly, anything that you anything that you do in the, with your body that's that's foreign to your body. I mean, your body if your body's not designed for it, it's not going to react well to it. It's not designed to have triglycerides inhaled into your lungs and then sitting in your lungs like, you know, it just kind of makes sense. I mean, that's, that can't be good.
2: No, it's, no, that it's whole not. sentence just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> right?
1: And here oh, what I you am. Did Franco miss that?
2: I, I said that whole sentence just gave me goosebumps. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: now that, that's that's I I kind of wondered this too. I mean, there's going to be probably more information coming out, but also there needs to be some studies, but just vape cartridges that utilize just cannabinoids and terpenes. You know, whether it's distillates or isolates. I mean, I've got one got one sitting right here, you know, so What is, what's the efficacy of this? You know, I'd love to know. It's just distillate and reintroduce terpenes natural from the plant doesn't test with any pesticides or, or, um, or heavy metals or anything. So it's technically clean, but how's that going to affect me? I don't know.
3: Yeah. And that's like, I was, I was just telling somebody uh, on a call earlier today, they're like, so do you do this? And I'm like, we don't, we don't do that. Like we we don't test for efficacy. We're not doing human health testing. We're not doing, you know, clinical trials. That's well, something with yeah. It's just it's not the level of testing we do.
1: You let's know, say, let's like, be real. Those, those are expensive. They're dude.
3: Very, yeah. Millions and millions expensive. of dollars.
1: Yeah. So not a, not everybody can do that. Um, I do believe we we what was it? It was um was it Masha? I think it was Masha with uh mm-hmm. yeah, a- AC ACS. ACS laboratories. Yeah, they do. The efficacy testing, so some
3: they're partnered. So right. ACS in and of itself doesn't do the testing. What they've done is, from my understanding, they've partnered with some universities and some other organizations that are doing some of those clinical trials, and are at least extending uh, extending information as far as um, what because the, the ACS labs in and of itself doesn't have the capacity to do the, the those kinds of tests. They might have some of the some of the equipment to do some of the analysis on it, um, but unless you're talking about hospital labs. Um,
2: Right. You know, so we're talking about,
3: and they and they are they are uh, apparently a CLIA compliant lab, so they do fit those clinical levels. Um, but I, uh, they're not, they're not funding or behind it. They're partnered with some people who are, um, and totally great lab, good people.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So they're they're kind of just helping to put it together, but they're not the ones actually. They're still doing the testing, but they're not the ones putting the actual trials together. Right. That's right. the Partners. Yeah. yeah. So I, I got a question. I want to I want to jump back to. What were you we talking about with the uh, the final rule? Um, so overall, with the with the hemp USDA interim final rule, or sorry, not interim final, but the final rule, uh, how does that level the playing field for farmers? I mean, how is that going to affect farmers? So we were talking about boutique earlier, yeah, mom and pops. How does it level the playing field with a mom and pop versus you know, let's say Globo Hemp? No, is uh, no, no, Basically, not at all. I mean, let's be let's be real. There's very few industries that that's the case.
3: The only thing that's gonna, the only thing that is going to, um, really level the playing field, as it were, is commodification of the crop. And there are some organizations that are trying to do that right now. That are tra- that are trying to um, establish basically a commodities market um, for Does- for the for does commodification
1: does commodification does not do the opposite of level in the playing field because i mean if it's commodification you can only really compete against globo hemp right i'm just using that as a as a random name you can only compete against them if you've got thousand acres and you're just ready to plant all thousand acres because they're looking at you know how what's the what's the weight in cannabinoids that i'm going to get out of one acre
3: Right. So your one acre, your one acre grower is going to have probably a lot more leeway, especially if they separate out lot from lot from lot on say three different acres. But your one acre grower is going to have a little bit more leeway as far as pushing those CBD levels beyond a certain point. Whereas your large scale industry people, they're going to stop at 8%. They're just not even going to mess with it because they don't want to chance the, millions of dollars that they've now put into the ground from having to be destroyed or now apparently remediated
1: right but the uh but the just the level of you know doing the monocrop and the efficiency there it's going to drive that price per
3: again this per... isn't soybeans though like you know like if if people are paying a certain amount of price per pound for hemp uh, based on the cbd levels that are in there so if you're if you're growing hemp and you only got 5% CBD, you're going to be fetching a totally different price than somebody who's got hemp that's growing at 10 or 12% and much above that you're 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 uh, I I don't think I've seen anything come through our lab that's above 13 that isn't hot as far as THC.
1: I, I guess I guess what you're I guess um, what you're referring to here which to, to totally makes sense. I'm kind of more referring to like uh, fully vertically integrated because, uh, yeah, no, there's... yeah, because if, if you were doing, it's likely that if you're doing 200 or sorry, 1000 acres of, of hemp for Globo hemp that you would have to have your own processing facilities. I don't think there's not too many sub- facilities that would support that type of volume. And there wow. isn't.
3: Um, and that's why I say, like, nothing's really going to stabilize, like, I'm talking about market stabilization, and I think you're you're trying to get at what's going to help even the playing field. Nothing, nothing. This is this is unregulated, or I should say it's it, not unregulated, but it's, it's free market capitalism. Free market capitalism is never, ever, ever in any way, shape, or form going to favor or level the playing field between David and Goliath. It's just never going to do that. Right. Um, there's never any system in, in a free market capitalism that, that is going to level that out. Um, you have to scale up. You have to turn into a big operation if you want to compete with the big operations. You right. Can't... If you want to
1: if you want to compete in the commodification of the the crop, the you know for if yeah. cannabinoids are commodified and and CBD is is trading on the commodities exchange for x amount per kilogram. You know if you want to participate in that you have to level up it's hard it's going to be really hard to do that with a real with a small boutique farm totally is
3: now what what did happen with the rules that helped out the small farms is if you do grow hot they allow for some remediation mm-hmm. as opposed to the interim rules which said you t- sorry got to destroy it by and so what and even with that there was not there, there was some crop loss for the past couple of years but not as significant as we would have expected. Um, but allowing for some remediation is, is a big way to help smooth out a little bit of, of things for the, for the smaller farmers, for any farmer, actually. Nobody wants to grow hot hemp, but if they did, they have a chance to turn it into biomass that would then test below
0: 0.3%. The O Cannabis Conference and Expo returns to Toronto June 1st through the 3rd, and there are still good booth locations available. This exciting event is free for cannabis retailers and will feature Tommy Chung receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award at the O Cannabis Industry Awards. For more information about exhibiting or to register to attend, go to That's ocannabiz.com. That's O C A N N A B I Z.com.
1: Yeah, so I guess switching gears again here. Um, you know, we talked a lot about the the mom and the, the mom and pop farmers versus Globo hemp. And then, you know, how the playing field is not level and some of the other issues. But so as of where the hemp industry is right now, what do you see kind of in the future for the next year, two years, five years, possibly 10 years? I mean, when do you see the market stable, stabilizing a bit, um, you know, getting kind of a some experience under its belt and kind of developing where it should be. I mean, I guess just to comment on this really fast, one of the things that I've noticed is um, the, the re I, the, it seems to me like the retail market for CBD and hemp is still not very well established, especially cause you don't, you have large grocery cha- chains that still won't allow it. Um, you know, some are adopting it now, but, as of right now, one of the only real places to find the products you need is direct consumer online because they don't have as many barriers there. But what do you think for the next, like I said, year, two year, five year, 10 year, what does that look like for this industry?
0: Um,
3: I think that, that's, a really, uh, that's a really great question. Um, let me get pull out my magic eight ball. <laughs> you know like hard to say um i think more regulations are going to be passed by the fda and the dea uh, i think the dea is going to either reschedule or deschedule um and clarify um so i think that's that's part of it um i think that the fda regulations are the ones that we really need to look out for um the fda is going to be regulating what is going on with with cbd cbg cbn all those you know, all those post-process isolated compounds um, and what happens as far as the, the way that those things need to be tested and organized and, and can be adopted by the store shelves. I think that we're going to see re- relaxation of some of the banking that, that's involved in this so that that's going to pave the way. I, I honestly, I, I think that the, there are signs that the retail marketplace um, for CBD products is opening up. Um, much more than at least, at least it's letting on. When you have companies like Sephora that say, "Hey, if you want to sell your cosmetic product at our store and it contains CBD, you need to test for this, this, and this." If they're coming out with that, um, that means that they're looking at the future and saying, "You know, we're we're going to be carrying CBD for a while because we know it has these effects. We know it's going to be there." So I think that there that there's going to be some destigmatization that's going on, and there's much more education about it. There are CBD shops popping up all over the place. And there are a lot of grocery stores and pharmacies that are opening it up. I mean, you go to Walgreens, you can find CBD salve. You can find, Mm -hmm. you know, CBD lotion, things like that. Um, It's, it's there. Um, I don't think the larger traditional retail markets really know how to approach this since it's such a novel product comparatively on the market. And they're so embroiled with some of the traditional cosmetic and pharmaceutical remedies uh, or, or, or products. So it's, I think that you're going to see one year, not much change, maybe a little bit of market stabilization, but I actually see market getting more volatile for the next year um, as a number of, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. There's, a, called, there's a number of growers who are probably going to get out of the business this year.
1: Well, that's, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that. Cause that's a deep one. I mean, 2018 tons of people got in and we actually have numbers. We, I think Franco and I did a report on this um, back in late, last year I believe Franco when was that that was oh sorry not what was
2: just the I think it was August I believe I it was
1: yeah August or September we did a report on it where we crunched the numbers of how many hemp growers there were in the U.S. in 2018 and then how many in 2019 mm-hmm. and I forget the numbers off the top of my head but I, I'm pretty sure it increased by like 8,000 <laughs> pretty it was up there so a large number and there was already a um a uh, huge surplus in 2018 and we still talk to businesses to this day that have that have distillate that is in storage from the 2018 harvest
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so back to that another back to that question again real quick um what's your prediction for when starbucks has a cbd coffee what what year is that going to happen when
3: Starbucks has a CBD coffee?
1: Yes, when Starbucks has a CBD coffee, twenty
2: twenty five.
1: Okay, Franco, wait, what about you?
2: I want to say something closer, about I want to twenty twenty seven. They just introduced soy milk most recently. Took a That's a that's a long
1: time though. I'm gonna go twenty twenty three. Ooh, let's see going, who gets the prices right to a prize on this one. <laughs> I'm going two years. Yes, if you go if you go over, you guys are automatically disqualified. So I'll
3: buy I'll buy your coffee.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean that, that that's interesting, but yeah, I mean I would say uh, definitely. You know, I, I I completely agree with you. I think the retail market's going to stabilize. are in, in in. I don't think it's going to be a year. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be probably two or three years before every single store you walk into has some form of CBD product, you know, within it. And then
3: let's, let's walk up the chain. Like, look, it's not just the stores themselves and it's not just the growers. And it's not just this, if you're, if you're a major retail outlet or even a small retail outlet, you have to carry some kind of insurance. Those underwriters don't want to carry the liability of you having a product on your shelves that you have to then dump off immediately because something is wrong with it so until the fda really narrows down their regulations on things and until they come down and say okay this this and this whether it's nutraceutical or it's counted as a supplement or it's counted like any other food product or it's counted like a drug but until they make those kinds of regulations the it's a risky proposition to bring it into your stores right unless it's a topical
1: yeah yeah you're 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 completely correct and actually now that you mentioned that it kind of it completely, I it completely contradicts my first thought because what I was going to say is, you know, having worked in this space since 2011, uh, back in 2011 2012, the talk was, oh, FDA is going or uh, they're going to they're going to deschedule THC within the next two years. <laughs> you know, fast forward two three years, right? 2005 and six. Oh, it's legal in Colorado and California is about to pass legalization. They're going to do it. They're going to do it in the next two or three years, right? Now right. we're in 2021 and nothing has budged. So when I look at it like that, I am not optimistic that it's going to happen within the next two years, just because of what I've seen in the past. However, I did just make the the Starbucks coffee prediction for two years. So I totally just contradicted myself.
3: No, that's okay. That's, that's good. I, I, I mean, Starbucks might be more risk averse anyway, because they have, they have really deep pockets and they already operate in a way that is incredibly profitable for what they do. And, um, and there are already coffee shops out there that have CBD coffee. In fact, the last meeting that I took in 2020 was at a CBD coffee shop.
1: Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. The um, I, what was it last year? Uh, a burger joint in, I, th- I think it might've been a Burger King. I feel like, in colorado had a cbd burger for halloween i believe it was wow it, it was like i'm not sure if it was a, a burger king it might have been a carl's jr i don't know but it was to me it was a publicity stunt i mean if you're the first one to offer it and you're you, you're putting it out there into the world and of course all the media outlets are gonna pick it up and and want to write about it or do a story about it because you're the first one but yeah. someone like someone like starbucks i mean take the lead if you if they are a little bit more risk adverse throw that cbd in the coffee now and help Mm -hmm. to progress the change as opposed to sit back and waiting for uh politicians to do it for us
3: well and also how are they going to throw that into the coffee are they dosing the beans are they putting it in as a pump after the grind
1: (laughs) now now, now we're now we're breaking this down all right well i mean Uh, i I would guess uh, they would use some sort of nano emulsified nano emulsified ingredient i don't think they would I don't necessarily know if they would want to dose the beans, mm. but I, I guess you might be right. I don't know.
3: I mean, it's a fat no soluble CBD compound or something. Yeah, there you go. I mean, like, and hi, I'm science. I'm here to represent.
1: Oh <laughs> so yeah, like, so I guess know. it would it would mix really well with the creams in it, that case.
3: It would, but also the there are oils in in coffee, like yeah. coffee in and of itself has oils. Um, yeah, and, and and it's a it's also an acidic environment, so you have to look at that. What what are we, what what is going to happen to the THC or CBD molecule or CBG molecule that's in there uh, in an acidic hot environment?
1: Yeah, yeah that that uh, that's <laughs> it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting one to see how everybody does it. I mean, back in two thousand what seven six and seven, this was back when people just started understanding distillate. They didn't even yeah. distillate was like such a foreign thing, and, and then someone saw a vape cartridge that was clear nearly clear and then you had companies out here in california like like the clear and uh everybody's like mind blown because they're used to having those jet black nasty cartridges that are derived usually from some type of bho mixed with propylene glycol you know so it's interesting that now i mean the the nanotechnology though the water soluble cannabinoids you know, it's, with some sort of uh, It's not actually water-soluble. Or,
3: huh? No matter what they do, it's not actually water-soluble. Right, there well, they're
1: using some, some type of, um, they're using some molecule that's basically combining with it, either encapsulating it or, yes. or nano-emulsifying it in combination with that ingredient. So yeah, you're right. It's It'll never be because it's polar versus non-polar, right? So yeah, I, I've, I surprisingly, I've got a slight, very slight background in, in extraction
3: that's good no i mean but like in truth like all these like all these waters or beverages that are coming out with the nano emulsions and whatnot cool and there is a delivery method for the cbd in, in those but ultimately it does it, it, it it's not actually getting taken into your body through water it's getting taken into your body through fats and lipids and that's like the, the delivery method is part of it like if you if you didn't have fats in your body, you wouldn't, CBD wouldn't do anything at all. Right. And right. the reason it does something to your brain is because that's mostly fatty
1: tissue to begin with. I like when it does something to my brain.
3: Me too, man. I'm gonna go, <laughs> I, as a matter of fact, I may go decarboxylate after this phone call.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hey, I, I had to, I had to figure out what decarboxylation back. There wasn't much about it. And back in the, back in like 2010, there wasn't too much online about, decarboxylation i mean now there's a lot more but i had to research that back in the day to figure out what was going on with with my product
3: definitely and then that's that's some of the things that we're that we're looking at is that we're that there isn't enough evidence to show what's happening in heat dry air wet air um you know all these things that are environmental factors that could be happening to any number of, any number of compounds and how stable they are. We know that terpenes, for example, are notoriously unstable, even while they're growing on the plant. If you're, if you're growing out in a hot field and it's 95 degrees that day, you're losing terps.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, you're (laughs) definitely the the moment you're smelling terps, you're losing terps. Those are, those are terps that are lost that made it to your nose. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. The, uh, I've had a, I had a, I had a crop once, um, we hung it up to dry. So it's, it's drying. And then the, unfortunately the heater in the drying room was set to cool cooling. And when we went into the, when we went into the drying room afterwards, it was like 30 something degrees and it was bone dry. So what it basically did was it like freeze dried the plant and it's in freeze drying it, it like stripped out all the terpenes. So so the the plant was extremely brittle because it was just basically pulling moisture out of the air at a super cold temperature, kind of like when you're up when you're up skiing in the mountains and everything's crazy dry. It was like it was that for a night, and when we went back, it was it was unsalvageable. All the moisture was pulled out of the plant, and you could kind of break it almost like it was in uh, liquid nitrogen. So just pop- that's like, just pop- so you
3: know. Uh, and since we were talking about the hemp regulations, the testing guidelines state very specifically that when you're testing for compliance for hemp to see if it's below 0.3% THC, you have to account for the moisture being taken out of the plant. And they very specifically say dried to within, I think, 5 to 12% moisture. And when they made that, they also stated so that the plant is brittle. But also they stipulated that it has to be, like, you have to account for moisture taken out of the plant. So when a testing lab is testing your samples for that THC content, they have to dry it or account for taking all the moisture out. Mm -hmm. So either they dry it to completion so that it is totally dry and brittle.
1: Right. Well, there, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously you're the lab, you know, you're the lab expert here. The, they, I mean, they're taking, they're taking a, even if it's dried to the point of being a smokable flower, you know, when they take their sample, the lab then has to go dry it further. Right.
3: Uh, depending on what process they're using, if they're using gas chromatography, it's going to, they have to apply heat to that process anyway. So it's going to, it's going to take some of that moisture out. But yes, yeah, so a good lab is going to, is going to use a moisture balance to take the moisture, the rest of the moisture out of the plant so that you've got dried to completion. And then you can, if you're putting it in HPLC, you can put it into solvent, dissolve it the way you need to in, in, in the solvent, and then do it. Because if, if you leave the moisture in the plant, you're not getting an accurate reading because those moisture levels are going to vary from like, you know, 10 to whatever, uh, you know, 5% to 30%, anything above 30.
1: Right. Well, I've had to to explain this to, to quite a few people. Um, when it comes to something like fresh frozen versus biomass, just say trim, you know, fresh frozen, they see the, they see the percentages and when you fresh frozen, when it's got the water weight in it, I mean, your percentages of, of cannabinoids including the water weight are super low so when you buy a pound of fresh frozen you have to take into account how much of that pound is water weight and is going to be lost and then what that how that's going to change your your cannabinoid percentages and then ultimately what your let's say extraction return is going to be on the thousand pounds of fresh frozen that you got because you lose x amount of water weight
3: Yeah, well, I mean, that's, and frankly, I've had to have this discussion with a number of clients uh, as a testing lab because they're like, well, I sent it to this lab and it was, it it said it was lower. I'm like, did they, did they dry it? They're like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, Well, if they didn't, uh... then
3: then they're, they're giving you a test result based on how much water is in the plant. And it's like, I'm telling you how much THC is embedded in the plant. We're taking the water out because that's the way you're supposed to do it.
1: Which, which this brings me directly into another question that I want to, I want to elaborate on what you just were talking about, sure. the, kind of the, uh, the pay to play slash pay for testing results, Ooh. And the, the practice of the practice of paying a specific lab to get better testing results on your product, which it's, it's been, um, there's definite, it's definitely happened. I don't know if it's still happening. I haven't, yep. I've been following that. But what you just mentioned with waterway is one. Very obvious way where that could happen. You take the flour, you dry that flour out to where it's zero percent and it's bone dry. You know that flour is going to test as high as possible for those cannabinoids versus the flour that has, you know, ten percent water weight left in it or something like that. Yeah. You know what's what's going on with that? Is that still a practice? Are you still seeing that happen?
3: Uh, there are some labs that just got shut down because of this.
1: Okay, we're, we're re- recently But uh, it's—I
3: think it was the opposite way. I think it was uh, these were labs that were testing for marijuana, and they—they—they they, uh, they were uh, apparently boosting their levels of THC that they were finding in the plants um, and misreporting them, and so they were being shut down.
1: That's that's horrendous. Sorry, I laughed a little bit because as you said, boosting. I had a little picture in my head of someone like about to test it and then just grabbing a little bit of isolate and being like.
3: Oh no no they, they 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 were testing it as it is and
1: then just oh just results not reaction. even not even in the test results just straight saying hey oh that's a that's a 18 let's make that a 28
3: yeah that's it seems like that was going on uh, and there's been some there's been a lot of lab shopping that's been happening and it's it's a difficult it's a difficult landscape to navigate anyway um, just you know it, it, from our perspective as our, our lab operates it's just not something that's going to happen. We've had people ask us, can you take the THC results off of our CBD test that we just did? And we're like, no, we're not going to take anything off of the test results that we just gave you. Those are the test results. If you don't like them, sorry, but they're the test results. We're not going to, we're not going to jeopardize our entire operation. We're not going to jeopardize our third party standing. We're not going to jeopardize our independence or, 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 um, you know, our impartiality, uh, or the standards by which everybody else relies on in this industry so that you can say that your crop wasn't hot when you're trying to sell it. Sorry, not sorry.
1: (laughs) They they clearly don't know how to use Photoshop.
3: And that's, we've also found that we found doctored COAs online and have had to call people and be like, did you do this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had, uh, um, I've had, so for licensing we've had doctored licenses so Mm -hmm. state licensing and then definitely doctored coas um we've had coas you know multiple times the same exact coa sent in for different goods Mm -hmm. which is the easiest way to tell you something something's doctored when product a product b and product c all seem to have the same test results with the same batch number yet they're completely different products Yep. yep so uh which which Stems a question from there. Um, you know, how prevalent is that right now? Because I know that was huge, huge in 2017, 2018. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Is it still going on? Are you still seeing it happen? We're not seeing it happen nearly as much. And I think that's yeah. just because a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the bad players that are doing that aren't necessarily still in business. Because let's be real, you do that one time, whoever you did that to is never going to buy from you again. So unless you are... Unless you're, um, you know, going on vacation, you're going to Paris off that one deal, then you basically just screwed that relationship and you were never doing business with them again. And because it's this kind of, a, even though it's a big industry, it's still a small industry, word gets around. That's it. That's it. I mean, there's,
3: there's, um, and I was just right before this today, I was on a meeting with somebody who we're getting into a bit of a, a business relationship. And one of the things that we discussed in this relationship is that there's still plenty of time for us to get to, to the point where we are cutthroat competitive in this industry. Um, we're still at a point where we need to collaborate. We need to work together to regulate from within and do that. And what we've seen is that a lot of that is going on. It's still an insular community, and while it's big, there's a, there's thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people employed by this industry right now. There's still a, a very good community aspect to this, and people are trying to pardon the pardon the pun, weed out the bad actors uh, that are that are engaging this kind of uh, behavior, and they're saying, dude, just you're ruining it for everybody. Stop it. Right. And if and they don't, they're like, you're, you're ruining it for everybody. Nobody's going to do business with you now. And they're, we're seeing right. some of those people fall off.
1: Yeah. And, and a lot of the ones that we encountered um, that I've encountered, I mean, it was brokers, broker, the, the supposed broker joker. It was always, it's always this battle of, of I have a buyer, here's proof of funds. Where's your product? Send me COAs. And then it's a battle of, I'm not going to send you COAs because I don't want someone to take them and send them to somebody else until you send me proof of funds. And then kind of a, a, kind of a standoff at that point. And then time and time again, the brokers, once they get a COA, it's just shopping around a COA. They never had a buyer. So it's just, Hey, I have this COA, it's legitimate product. Then another broker gets a handle on it. Another broker gets the hand on, you know, gets that same COA. Then, you have no idea where it's gone, and it's being tossed out to everybody.
3: Yeah, for the for the past couple of years, we've been there. Are there are independent organizations that are, um, and some of the online retailers and some of the other organizations that do COA checks. So they are they're calling some of the labs and saying, "Hey, we received the COA from so and so. Is this legit? Does this match up with your records?" Yeah. And we'll tell them straight, yes or no, whether they did or not. We don't do anything else other than say yes, this matches, or this does not match our records.
1: Right. Um, I mean, any any bulk. Any bulk order of anything, isolate, distillate, biomass, whatever it is, you know, if you're paying X amount of dollars, you need to be doing a COA check. Whoever yeah. is placing that order, even with us, with with CanTrade and the software, you know, we verify the businesses. We put the businesses put COA and they attach COAs and they attach them to their products. However, that does not mean that that COA was totally verified. So we encourage everybody, you know, to verify COAs. When you're placing an order on bulk, you know, commodity goods or or raw goods, that's absolutely huge.
3: Um, and I I also think another part of that is that COA hosting has been uh, has become a little bit easier um, and more traceable. So there's more technology being thrown at this, and there's more traceability that's being thrown at it.
1: Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, and- a lot of uh, you know, they're they're getting to the point where they've got QR codes on them, or you can scan them, or go to this here really quickly to verify them, which is there's going to be, you know, better and better practices, which brings me to another question for you mm-hmm. um, at trade shows in the past. I know uh, at, at MJ BizCon saw a company, there have heard about different technologies, but basically some type of markers for testing that people implement some sort of marker. And then in this case, and I don't know, I don't know the technology fully behind this, but they utilize some sort of spray on the plant, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> sharpie, sharpie <laughs> marker. No, I meant like genetic marker. Um, okay. They utilize some sort of spray on the plant, something supposedly organic and benign, yet yet during the processing, it follows all the way through all the way, and it can it follows it. It basically is attached to the cannabinoids all the way down to the point of a finished product. So you could potentially test a tincture that has you know the cannabinoids in it or even an edible that has the cannabinoids in it and you can determine that that came from this field due to the spray oh. of that sort of genetic marker technology
3: have that's you, fascinating
1: have you, so if you yeah. not? you have you not so my question to you is going to be have you seen anything like that around have you, have you seen any businesses actually implementing stuff like that but it, no and
3: uh, I would be surprised if those things lasted through the, those processes too, because DNA is notoriously fragile as a compound.
1: Yeah, I don't, and I don't know if they're using DNA. I don't know what it is that they're using to to, to create the markers. But um, I've seen it. I've, I've read about it previously, and then I talked to a business at I think this was MJ BizCon 2018 for a good half hour hour. That was just telling me how the process works, and like I said, they, they were basically saying that at any point, no matter what, what is done to that cannabinoid, it will always have that imprint that they can determine that that came from this sprayed field.
3: Interesting, I would love to see this, I'd love to see okay. some of the data behind this, too.
1: Yeah, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll see if I can find because I had, I literally had the card, I've got it in my little card book. Um, Oh man, just mind blanking me. I need to, I need to have some more CBD so I can get this memory a little better.
3: If you're you're listening and you're out there, call
1: in now. (laughs) (laughs) Too many, too many hits, too many hits to the head in football. So I need my (laughs) CBD as a neuroprotectant. Mm. Well, so we, we've been here for a while. We're, we're going on over an hour. So I think we got, we can start to kind of wrap this up, but I I got one last uh, question here that I want to, Leave you with, and we can take it as long as we want. We don't got to. We don't have to wrap anything up.
3: Is it about house music?
1: Uh, oh my gosh, we didn't even get to that.
0: Oh, I forgot <laughs> about that. Uh,
1: Why did I not have that on my notes right here to say just house music all day big, long? Giant letters. Let's talk about your house career. Which let's do that now because I'm going to leave this. No. I'm going to leave this question that I've got to the very end. Okay. So kind of finish off with it, but please tell me. Yeah, tell me about the DJ. Tell me about the house music. Uh, I just
3: and, uh, it's,
1: and, why and, and why don't you have your gear set up? Why are you not? Why, <laughs> why are you I not
3: spinning this, this meeting right, right now? now? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Totally. I'll drop some beats right now. Um, so I I, um, I actually used to put mixes together when I was a kid. Uh, you know, on tape, I would record songs on the radio and then put a mixtape together for some friends or whatever.
1: Full on, just straight, just straight, uh, like cassette recorder to cassette recorder. And dude, dude, I I, I used to do that with VHS. I used to make skate videos. Oh, sweet. I was a skater, and first skate video I made was when I was in third grade. Unfortunately, I can't find that one. And I searched my parents' house. I just don't know where the VHS is, but I did find the one I made in seventh grade, but VHS camera. So, just carrying this giant monster camera around when I was a kid, when I was in, just in third grade and then uh, VCR to VCR editing. Yep. So push play record, push play record. Crazy. But yeah, sorry. Get, get into it. I want to, want to hear about how you totally. How you I, think, I think I think I still,
3: I think I still have my copy of the VHS of the first Bones Brigade video. Okay. With uh, Mark Mullins and uh, Tony Hawk and a bunch of those guys. Um, uh, anyway, uh so i, and I really I, I just uh i started getting into djing uh a friend of mine is having a backyard barbecue and is like can you throw some music together i know that you're really into be really big into music i'm like yeah sure whatever
1: and what what um, year was this
3: oh god it was uh a little bit over a decade ago okay so not that long um uh well that for that at least um and i part I, I just got free dj software and was just like hey, i'll just throw it over again. i don't care um and then uh somebody commented me like i think you like this more than what you what you do for your day job i'm like no it's not possible and then i was like later on i'm like yeah i kind of do so I, I got some equipment i'm um and I'm, I'm not like a huge dj or anything like that i just i spend some parties here and there i've, I've been hired a couple times but um i i used to when i used to go to the clubs uh, back in the '90s. And used to go to the raves. I actually hated house music. Fucking hated it. I thought it was like cheesy bullshit. I was just like dude I'm done with house. Um, I was into like techno and trance and like things like that and um, dub pre-dubstep you know okay. the, the garage scene and uh, some of the drum and bass. Drum and bass was huge for me. Was
1: this, was this early 2000s? Oh no 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 this is mid 90s. Mid 90s okay because in mid 90s yeah mid 90s yeah. yeah, I wasn't techno. <laughs> the most techno for me was like prodigy yeah but, yeah um but no i mean it was for me it was all punk and and kind of hard rock like, okay like pantera tool corn pennywise bad religion like all those types of bands
3: Damn yeah, it! How, how do you know you're how do you know you're listening to a tool
1: song i do not know the answer to that
3: you're still listening to it
1: oh let's see it's okay super long all right <laughs>
3: <laughs> so yeah, no. I just got into like, and, and then I started uh, spinning some music, and I was just like, I'm getting kind of really into house again. And I, very specifically, I got into deep house. Um, and so regular house music is cool, but like deep house, just it's like this nice little like dirty velvet carpet underneath things. And I, for, I started spinning and for
1: house. someone for someone who doesn't know much about house, um, yeah. What what would so what's you, I know you said velvet carpet, but deep house can. Give me a little bit more detail on what Deep House is like.
3: So um, a, lot of, a lot of straight house music starts off from the disco era and it, it originated in Chicago um, as a continuation of what was happening as disco was dying. So you've got a lot of these like saucy, uh, funky vocals that come along with it. Um, and some of these, uh, what I think are just cheesy piano lines that, that I think are inherent in, in most house music which is cool. I mean, it's fine. It's great. Uh, Deep House strips it down even more. And so you might have some of those vocals, but it's like, it's really interspersed. And you're really talking about these really undulating bass lines that come through, um, kind of taking out some of those pure elements and just spacing them out. Uh, If you want to get into some really good Deep House um, and listen to some tracks, you might want to try uh, Green Velvet. Green Velvet's got some really amazing uh, Deep House. Carl... uh, there's just, i mean there's a ton that you can you can look through to to find it um but it's it's a it it's more of an atmospheric and emotional feeling in the music instead of this uh this vocalized singing bright kind of feel to it
1: i literally just pulled up some green velvet as you were as you were talking about that so i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah toss that on in a in a few minutes once we jump off here but yeah my my understanding of house like you were saying at least with deep house is uh not a lot of vocals no kind of yeah just more of like a like you said bass lines and kind of a groove and a feel just keeping the consistency yeah. right cool cool so when do we get to when can okay um i got a question for for this when we when we actually go through to um publishing this can we use one of your originals i don't have or, any i don't i don't, don't have any originals. darn it no oh, no no i don't i was hoping you made them
3: no i don't i don't i don't make house music i just spin it okay um, so like no i I, just, I mean and as i said like it's more of a casual hobby than anything else it's not like it's not something where it's like i had a, a massive like house dj career and i came out here it's just like it's something that i do and i love so have you I ever was,
1: have you ever uh, have you ever attempted to make to make uh, your own,
3: yeah, but the beats that I make are, are much uh, like I haven't tried to make house beats. I've, I've tried to make um, some other stuff like some some techno and some um, some trap stuff. So I, I've diversified a little bit on that level. I I didn't. I, I'm not a I'm not a music producer. I'm a music lover and and mm. and, and, and player.
1: For I'm sure. I'm with you there. I'm a, I'm a lover of all different types of arts. Although I have this issue that whenever. Like I have to try to make whatever it is. So mm. whether it's whether it's painting, drawing, designing, doesn't matter. It's like at some point, I'm like, okay, well, I'd like to just make my own original piece and give it a try. So I kind of end up scratching the surface on everything, but never get too good at one individual thing. I'm kind of just intermediate to beginner on everything, but
3: I try. we're kidding. Can- I could tell you that right now. I've been in the film industry. Uh, I've been in marketing, I've been in real estate, I've been in a whole bunch of these different things. And as, as a lover of arts, I've also had a kind of a, a very similar uh, way of approaching things, right? It's like, I want to see how difficult this is.
1: Yeah, like last night, I was just trying to draw an octopus. And you may not see it. I see it. It's right there. Yeah. There's a lot of oh, other yeah. stuff going on. Well, but... no, you,
3: you got that you got that uh, that flanging spread from the central focus uh, where yep. the, the, the those lines kind of like flow out really well. Yeah. You,
1: I drew this angler fish yesterday, too. Oh, yeah, dude. So I, this whole notebook, this entire notebook is full of just random drawings, but and I'm not I, very and good. And here I
3: was, and I thought you were taking notes on this the whole time. No, you were just doodling.
1: Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, got notes in, I got notes in this book, too. This is my, this is everything. I got notes in here. I've got, yeah, there's uh, There's drawings. There's Here's a cool one. Um, you may not know, this is like a deep sea underwater worm. I'm super into ocean stuff. Oh, right on. No, but there's, uh, yeah, there's some crazy ones in here, but no, this also has, this is where I keep all my notes, but I've got, it's interesting when I go back into these sometimes though, because, and you probably same thing when you make beats, like I I look back at drawings that I made three, four years ago and I'm just like, whoa, that was cool. I didn't even know I could do that. So
3: this behind me right here is one of my photographs.
1: Um, and oh, i've been doing nice. photography for, photography as well
3: yeah i've been to photography for like 30 years and um but i don't look that old but i am uh and and so like that's and actually that's an old piece that's a really old one and it's one of the few ones that i've like looked back at my old photographs and been like damn I, that that one's pretty good I, I can dig that one a lot yeah um, i'm and actually starting, now that,
1: i'm just starting to get into photography so, Dude, I,
3: I will throw you as many pointers as you want for any help of any kind. I've, I've been doing it for a long time, digital and film. It's, it's been a passion for, for a hot minute.
1: I want to I wanna share something I made. I'm going to share something with you. Probably won't, may not broadcast this, but I made this, um, one second, once I once I get it set up, I made this last night. Cool. So
3: Franco, you were asking about how I got into this as somebody who's been in photography and video and like the arts and everything like that, how the hell did I end up as the vice president of a testing lab? (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually surprised myself.
2: (laughs) No. life's um, put you in a particular place and it's given you particular uh, opportunities to do wonderful things with.
3: Yeah. And actually I was hired on to help out with sales and marketing efforts. And, um, and my, my position within the lab is not on the science side. I'm not, I'm not running lab stuff myself. I'm, I'm actually more of the business operations and doing policy analysis.
1: Oh, I'm with you. All right. So I got it set up. Let me go ahead and find, I got to find the picture first. Cause the picture. So I, so I always start with a drawing and then I progress the drawing into a design. Okay. So here's the drawing. Okay. Very cool. So I wanted to make an octopus arm. And then let me screen share you. It turned out better than I thought it would. it's not showing up for my screen share. One second, there's always an issue.
3: It's you, Mark. It's all Excuse you. <laughs>
1: Alright, so can you see my screen? Oh whoa. Oh cool. So here's the design.
3: Are you gonna 3D print that?
1: Yeah, it's sitting, it's sitting on a it's sitting on a 3D printer program right now. And then here's the print. So and then I can kind of dial in the printer. Okay. And so this, if I start to reduce this, you'll see the layers disappear. But yeah, so I made that. I made that last night. Usually, I make this stuff when my wife goes to bed, and that was it. That started from the drawing. Hmm,
2: that's so cool,
1: man.
3: <laughs> that's ridiculously awesome.
1: Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think this one turned out way cooler than I thought it would. So. Where this is going to go, and sorry we got into this tangent. Um, I'm not. That's why, I'm that's not why sorry I at all. I appreciate, I appreciate the arts because I do it all the time, um, all different types of mediums. But where that's going to go is that's going to go in a coral reef tank with coral growing on top of it.
3: Oh, cool. Yeah. So, cool. So,
1: so when you look at this picture, that's what the box is around it. Uh-huh. no the box okay. is it, it and how it would be sitting inside of the inside of the tank right can't tell probably that direction <laughs> yeah all right but like i said That's i'll probably nice probably gonna edit that edit that part out of the show we don't need to we don't need to talk about too much of the uh the artistic stuff when it's an un unhemp related but i got this brings us to the last question um where let me pull up my questions here. Okay, so what do you think is the final slash next step for the hemp industry in moving toward full legalization? I know we've covered segments of it like decriminal or descheduling, so on. Um, you know, but I guess let's get a final thought on that. When when do you think it's going to happen? You know, how do you think it's going to happen? And then what do you think the response slash, uh, you know, what's going to happen to the industry when that does happen? Man, that's a big multifaceted question.
0: Uh, so one,
3: that's
1: why I left it to the, that's why I left it to
0: the right.
3: So for hemp hemp's legal. That's it. CBD on the other hand, also legal, uh, it's everything else that we got to worry about. And even like uh, I was just reading on this yesterday, uh, the big D eight question, the Delta eight question is still out there and that's Delta eight is listed on the controlled substances list. It's, it's, it's a schedule one substance just along with, with Delta nine. However, the DEA has issued a statement that what's on the schedule one list is marijuana derived compounds, not hemp derived compounds. Hemp derived compounds are exempt from, from the, the DEA. Uh, regulation of, of of those, which also begs the question: Could you make hemp-derived delta nine, and have that be fully illegal? I don't think there's a leg to stand on for trying. But um, what's going to happen? Uh, the the um, I think that what we're going to see in, in in a really short way is that there's going to be decriminalization first. So that that is saying that no matter what with marijuana or any of the cannabis, um, and really marijuana and hemp are the same plant. It's just cannabis with a different THC percentage. Um, but I think what we're going to see is the, the, the decriminalization of cannabis before it gets legalized. And there's a big difference between those two things. Decriminalization, meaning that you can't get a felony conviction for it. You can get a misdemeanor, which doesn't matter. I mean, just get a fine, but full legalization, um, I don't know. I mean, the, the Biden administration said that within the first 100 days, they were going to decriminalize and and work on work on an expungement package. I think that's a bold move. Um, and I think they've got a lot of bigger problems to, to face right now, considering that there's COVID and natural disasters going on and uh, an entire country that wants to kill each other. Um, but so... I think that's a bold one. And I think honestly, if they did decriminalize it, that that would go well towards helping resolve some of those disputes of a whole bunch of co- people in the country going to kill each other. Never seen two people smoke a joint and then decide,
1: I'm going to fight you. Right. <laughs> I am I mean, we I'm very glad we didn't get in the conversation of the polarization of of the country because that one could, I, I have some feeling that you and I could talk for hours about that.
3: Sidebar, we'll do a sidebar, man. Bring, yeah. bring, I'll bring you on to my show for that one.
1: Yeah, um, it's going to be a different show. It's going to be, uh, which which is another one we haven't talked about at all today, our, our killer mustaches. So, Franco, I'm sorry, the, the only guy here without a mustache. Baby real life, you, you've
2: been
3: voted off the island. Sorry, buddy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the guys with awesome twister mustaches can... And, uh, and
3: I, I even I even trimmed it so as not to compete with yours per our last conversation.
1: Well, mine, yours is <laughs> yours is like nice and fine and crimped and and looks perfect. Mine is a wild, just mine's crazy. Mine goes like, all different directions. My hair is really my my facial hair is really wiry, so it's really like thin and wiry. It's weird. I, I like the. I dash have no way. facial
2: hair and it's very red. <laughs> no, I like you're, I, you're you red. Have long head, hair though. Franco? No, I'm not. I have red beard, like ridiculously so. People ask me if I diet, and I'm like, no, nah, man. <laughs> That's hilarious. You, wow. need that, you need to grow that thing out.
3: <laughs> That'd be awesome. But anyway, so yeah. So what what do we need to do? Um, I think that I think that marijuana decriminalization and, and legalization is going to be is going to be a big issue. I don't. I I see more directive towards reschedulization. Then I don't think that it's going to be pulled off of the schedule. I think it'll be going down to Schedule 3 uh, uh, for at least the short term. Who knows what will happen 10 years from now, but that's that's my theory at least. Uh, there's no reason to keep it Schedule 1, and I, I see a lot of pressure for it not to be. Until there is less stigma, and I think that there's going to have to be more education and understanding of the, popul- in, the in, in the public, even though over 60% of the, the population in the United States supports uh, legalization uh, of, of marijuana at this point, uh, there still needs to be more popular support for a full decriminalization. Um, I think that there there definitely needs to be banking reforms for the industry to allow for free banking, credit card processing, loans, uh bank accounts and the, the cash side of this industry is killing it. Um, and, and it's a significant risk factor that is, that is massive and it's causing actually a lot of corruption within the industry itself, um, because of that. Um, and I think regulations that make sense, uh, regulations that protect human health, but also provide pathways for the industry and resources for the industry to, to grow and foster and, and do better. And I see those things happening really in small Incremental levels over the next year or two, more robustly over the next five, and in ten years to kind of culminate. I think by the by the ten years from now, I think we're going to see a much more robust and full legalization. There's lots of things that have to come into play here. There's international treaties that are involved that we can't just like. Right you know, just, eh, we'll just screw the treaty. We're already in violation of, of, some of, the, of some of the provisions in those treaties with the fact that there are two regulatory agencies overseeing marijuana.
1: Well, so, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the US government is what hammered down the criminalization slash ban of of cannabinoid or THC across most of the world.
3: Yeah, so if we back out of the first, you know, if, we're, if, we, if we take charge and say, nah, all right, we're done. The rest of the world's gonna be like...
1: <laughs> you kind of made yeah. us do it in the first place. <laughs>
3: if the rest of the world isn't already like that to us, I don't Uh, know. Uh, You know, like it's, there's so many complexities to this. So I think it's going to take time uh, for us to see full legalization and a full robust industry. That being said, state by state, we're already more than halfway there. We've got over 30 states that have medicinal and, and or recreational plans in in, in place and all 50 states have to be able to allow um, the transportation of hemp they don't have to allow the commerce of hemp or hemp derived products um, but I see all all 50 states being being very robust on that and I see the hemp industry uh, since this is the hemp show I see the hemp industry in specific uh, stabilizing in much more much more I, I should say sound and profitable ways for the industry but I, I see that there's going to be a little bit of price downgrade before that happens um, and I see more specialization. Um, and conglomerization of, of the of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, more mergers, more more big businesses taking over. Don't be surprised if Philip Morris starts cracking into this or if you know some of these other hey, big-
1: You know each one of them has a, f- a file and an execution plan that's just like, okay, operation blank. here we go. You know Operation hemp industry takeover, execute. <laughs> and they're just going to come in and snatch up boom 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 business business and all of a sudden within two weeks they're the top player in the hemp space
3: let's let's make that not happen
1: it's it's (laughs) gonna happen it's unfortunate i mean i'm definitely not a fan of that but
3: look i like me personally i would love to have philip morris as a client because they still need third-party testing but i don't i don't want philip morris to be the 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 leading of the industry. I don't want InBev to come in and take over this, like they like they did the spirits and beer industry. I I want to see the craft growers get bigger. I want to see the people who are vertically integrated and having smart business plans uh, doing well. And that's why you know me personally I work for a testing lab. I'm out here as an advocate. I'm out here as an ally. It's somebody who's trying to help educate and also bring some good knowledge to the industry, so that maybe we, as we discussed earlier, you know, we can lift up the small guys and and help everybody succeed instead of just making sure that the people who have really deep pockets are doing really well. And I think if we can all lift each other up and work collaboratively um, and if we all come, come together around sound legalization efforts and sound regulations that help protect people and help protect the industry, we'll do fine. But we need to regulate from within, we need to collaborate and do that. And then we'll, we'll get to the point where we can be cutthroats later on.
1: Right, right. I, I totally jive with that position. I think that's a, a great spot to kind of finish on here. Cool. See you. It's, it's wrapped <laughs> up. We don't, we don't, because, because we're still, we're still figuring all this one out. We don't have like an intro or an exit, you know, some of the, some of the shows it's like they have the same exact exit. Uh, but yeah, so I think that wraps it up. Just one, one comment on that one. The, uh, on the last thing you said there, um, Mo- I think most of the industry and, and a lot of just individual people feel that same, had that same position that you just mentioned there where it's like, we need to support little guys. You know, we don't want to see Philip Morris take over the hemp space. And I think they have, I think most people feel that same way about everything about their local communities. However, I do believe that most people make decisions every single day that are Directly, con- d- directly contradictory to that. Oh, absolutely. Just like, just like every time someone orders an Amazon package, mm-hmm. I know it's convenient, but you could have maybe paid an extra dollar and supported the store down the street, mm-hmm. right? And made that effort. So, and this is the same premise with um, when someone's going to be buying their CBD goods. You know, you could very easily find the boutique CBD supplier that's right in your local area, or you can buy Charlotte's web, you know, from Colorado, one of the largest brands in the country, you know, the right. most well-known brands in the country. So it's, it's kind of a sad thing to see. Cause I see it happen at our house every day. I don't use Amazon much at all for, for those reasons, but Amazon still comes to our house every day. I've got a wife and a child. So I mean, more one way or another, that stuff's getting ordered and and we can't always make it to the store
3: man, i hate I hate child labor, but I use this device that has a whole bunch of stuff that was produced.
1: Oh, now we're getting deep
3: now're getting deep exploitative deep. and 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 environmentally disastrous processes, including the battery that's in it. I mean, yes, that that there's no there's almost no clean way to live in a capitalist society at this point.
1: You you know one of the things I sorry to cut you off but one of the things I get challenged with every day we had we had our garbage go out today every single day even though I'm you know very I'm in love with the ocean very environmentally conscious um you know try my best to make decisions that are I drive an electric car try my best to make decisions that are good for the environment however when I pull that damn trash can out. And that thing weighs 150 200 pounds every freaking week. I'm like, what am I really doing? Like, what have I what have I really done when that trash can weighs that much? And I'm adding every single week my body weight in trash to just be tossed out, you know, and, and create basically little cancers on this planet.
3: Wow, dude. <laughs> I'm just kidding. like, yeah, no, that's that's it. I mean, but we could have an entire. 15 hour conversation on how to fix the problems that are, that are, that are inherent to not only runaway capitalism, but also industrialized mechanized society. Um, the, the fact that we don't have to deal with our trash, we just send it off to somebody else who's going to deal with it for us. In fact, like all of that
1: is outside, out of, out of mind.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So people don't even see, and right now recycling is defunct anyway because nobody's buying our recycled goods. Nobody's buying our recycling because we have a trade embargo with, a, with our biggest buyer.
1: And 90, 90 something percent of what you recycle doesn't even get recycled anyways, even if it is eligible to be purchased, you know, so it's, it's a sad thing. And I'm actually, I I do have plans. I actually wrote down a a script, um, not a script, but basically like a shot list because I do have plans on actually doing a video about what I just mentioned, where that's awesome. I think I am this person. Yet when you break it down, I am not, I am just as much the problem as everybody else who thinks they are that type of person, right? That, that's doing good in the world and, and is environmentally conscious. However, I'm no different than, than the coal company.
3: Dude, Greta Thunberg is still like, tweeting on a phone and using a computer. <laughs> And buying goods, I'm sure that are that are environmentally disastrous. That doesn't mean you you can't do both. You can't say like, look, I'm kind of locked into this system as it is, but at the same time, I'm going to fight this system because I know that it's wrong. So what? Let's come up with some solutions that are going to help with this. And I think actually, this does tie into the industry very well because the hemp industry. A lot here. Yeah, the hemp industry is is one of the ways that we can improve battery technology. Their hemp, hemp batteries are showing some really great promise. Construction. Packaging,
1: mm-hmm. uh, you know, f- fuel sources. Carbon neutral. It's a better, better fibrous crop than basically anything out there. It's like a wonder crop. So, you know, is if we, the very least, if we can implement hemp into everything that it, it can possibly do that we're currently doing, then it will be better for the environment. That's for sure. Totally. But There's, uh, still just a drop in the bucket.
3: <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, and you're out in California, so you probably know some people who are who are burners.
1: Uh, yeah. No few. Okay.
3: So and I'm I've actually, big... I've
1: wanted to go so badly, so badly, but I haven't, I, I just haven't made the trek. And then my wife is so anti burner, but uh, I'd love to go.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, like I, I haven't been to the big burn. I've been to some local regional stuff and I'm, I'm kind of involved in the regional Burning Man community here in Chicago. And, you know, one of the things that's a big crux of, of, of kind of the duplicitousness, the uh, nature of it is that here we are. And we all talk about inclusion and we all talk about decommodification and we all talk about uh, being environmentally friendly leaving no trace wherever we go and you know being you know making sure that we have a a decent you know impact on, on things and all these other things yet uh inclusion is a big big issue because it costs so much to attend any of these events or be a part of them um how environmentally friendly are we when we're taking massive wooden structures and just burning them, throwing carbon right up into the atmosphere? How much waste is left over from these from these events? And while we clean up after ourselves, we're still oh. taking that trash and dumping it.
1: The, oh, it it's... It's just, sorry, I just realized I got a, I got a twelve o'clock. We went we went long here. Go do what Dude. you got to do, Mark. It was sorry, fun. guys, this I was great. having I was having a blast here. And, and you know, like I said, uh, Ben, we could go a thousand routes, but no, man, this was this was fun. It was great oh. to just get to talk to you, shoot the shit. Talk about random stuff. Um, overall, I think we jive on a lot of different topics here. I, mean, I think we're kind of down the same route, but let's see what positive we can kind of get out of this and at least project it into the hemp space as much as we can. If not, you know, do whatever we can. Like I said, I am mean, going to be making videos about some of this stuff. I've actually planned those ones out to be just like, hey, look at how terrible I am. But no, this was good. It's
3: good. Definitely. Awesome. We'll talk soon, man. Right.
2: Take
1: care. All right, man. Have a great rest Thanks of guys. you guys. Franco, Franco thank you. We appreciate it.
2: Awesome. Thanks, right. guys. So Cheers, man. Cheers. Right. Bye,
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take
1: listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out a major journey today on all major podcast platforms.